Welcome to Bounce Back Stronger, the podcast that explores ways to find peace and purpose after difficulty. I'm your host, Donna Ferris, and today we have sobriety coach Laura Ward with us. A little bit about Laura. Laura's Bounce Back Stronger story began with a courageous decision in 2014 to reclaim her life by putting an end to her relationship with alcohol. Recognizing that it was no longer serving her and could potentially be destructive, she embarked on a journey of self-discovery, resilience, and hope. In a world where challenges are inevitable, she found that celebrating every triumph became a cornerstone of her recovery. As she navigated the path to sobriety, Laura discovered a profound truth. The process of bouncing back stronger doesn't stop at one challenge. It extends to many areas in life, and the tools learned in recovery can help. Some of the challenges she has faced include managing a complex medical diagnosis, guiding her teenagers through tough times, facing unexpected joblessness, and grieving profound losses. But as she'll share, life isn't about the challenges that show up. It's about how you respond to them. Each obstacle at times tested her commitment to an alcohol-free life and brought her to some low lows. Yet facing these tribulations, she found the fuel to live with an intention and become stronger and stronger each day. I can't wait to hear how she did it, so I'm going to stop talking and welcome Laura to the podcast. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much, Donna. I am very, very happy to be doing this with you. That was a beautiful introduction. Oh, so well-deserved. And and I have to say, you, you were so kind of me when I did the This Naked Mind podcast. So it was so nice to have the opportunity to talk more with you since that time. Oh, thank you. So many gifts came out of the opportunity I had with This Naked Mind, and you are one of them. And I'm so glad that we've continued our relationship. Oh, thank you. Same. And And it was a vulnerable time because I was just coming out as being sober. And if you haven't been listening to the podcast, I've been sober for a little bit more than three years. Uh, You've been sober a bit more than that, quite a bit more than that. Maybe it would be a good time to talk a little bit about your journey deciding to become sober because it's always an interesting story for each of us. It is. And everyone comes to it a little bit differently. But I think the common thread is that we all get to a point that we realize alcohol isn't serving any purpose for us any longer. And so we we decide to make a change, whether it's a health reason or an addiction reason. I was absolutely addicted to alcohol. I was physically dependent on it, definitely at the very end. And in February, I will be coming up on nine years of wow. continuous sobriety, continuous alcohol-free living, whatever language works for anyone around this is... Uh, is fine. There, there doesn't have to be a, a specific vocabulary that we use. But I, you know, grew up in a drinking household, and disordered drinking was modeled for me. I didn't know there was any other way. That was a time when we really didn't talk about the health implications of alcohol as a toxic substance. And we know a lot more now than we did then. We know a lot more now than we did when I made a choice to to change things for myself. So I think for me, what it really came down to is I had gotten so lost with alcohol that I didn't even see any value in being here for my kids because I wasn't the mother they deserved. They didn't sign up to get a drinking mom. They didn't sign up to get somebody who was basically emotionally abandoning them every day once it got to a point where it was time for me to start drinking. 
everyone talks about whether or not they had a, a rock bottom or a soft bottom or what it was that got them to that point. And I think for me, there are a couple of moments that really stand out. The first one was just over 10 years ago. And I still at this point cannot remember what it was that set me off, but I had spent the afternoon drinking at whatever it was that was bothering me and just getting more and more upset and more and more convinced that I had no business living a life. And right after my husband had walked in the door from work that evening, I stormed out and I got in the car and I started driving. And I was literally trying to figure out how to not be here anymore. You know, kind of driving down these old roads that I knew from when I was younger and kind of like going, okay, which tree? Which tree am I going to be picking? How fast am I going to have to be driving? Is there another way that might work better? And the self-talk was doing its thing. It had been doing it for a while, but it was worse than ever that night. You know, just as I said, you know, decided my kids would be better off without me than having a mom like me. Mm. And nothing ended that night. Not my drinking, not my life. I eventually went back home and things kind of continued on as if nothing had happened. And then about six months later, I had another horrible night of drinking. I mean, I was drinking in between, you know, the whole, I didn't stop, but just another really, really bad drinking experience. I was at an out of state event for a pro bono client I had been working with for years. And on my drive home the next morning, because I stayed overnight, I was more hungover than I'd ever been in my entire life. And that was kind of it. I was like, something has to change. I, I can't do this anymore. And I called a health and wellness coach I had known through business networking for years. And I left her a message and I was just like, please, please help. If you don't know how to help, find me somebody who can. I need to not do this anymore. And that's what kind of brought me to my knees was those two experiences within six months of each other and me going, I don't have control over this. I don't know what to do, but I can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I think that's something I'm sure many can relate to. I think those are situations that we get ourselves into and we're drinking for a reason that something in our life is triggering it, but we've always used alcohol or whatever it is. There's other things that we can be addicted to, but in this case, alcohol to numb it, right? And I give you every credit in the book for identifying it. I think that's one of the things we don't identify. We just kind of keep doing it because it's expected. I mean, you you alluded to the mommy wine culture to a certain extent, the idea that mommy has a tough day. So her mommy juice is wine. And I certainly fell into that. It was a whole thing until I didn't, until it didn't serve me anymore. But I think it's just a very common thing. I, I, I think you mentioned it. it's getting easier. And, you know, I see Brad Pitt is sober and Jennifer Lopez, I think, is still sober. And you have all these people that are raising their hand to be sober. And I, I am so thankful for them because they're just bringing more and more light to, to this different way of living. Absolutely. And I think I even caught a quick headline before we jumped on the, the podcast today that one of the things Taylor Swift did to get ready for her big tour this year was to give up alcohol. You know, so people are definitely understanding that it's not doing them any favors. I think the more and more we talk about it, the more we empower others, we give them permission to make that decision for themselves because it's still a very stigmatized situation. It's still very expected. We go out to dinner and the wine list is delivered. We go to a party. We're expected to walk in with a bottle of wine for the host. 
We still need to see a much bigger shift than we've seen, but we've started to see one that definitely leads to healthier people. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes. When I first started my journey, I was blogging and there weren't very many of us blogging. And now you look in the social media space and the online space, and there are so many people talking about their journeys and how their choices have been such a huge win for them in their lives and how they've just been able to change so much by doing one thing. Yeah. And I think the tools we learn, we can apply in the rest of our lives. So I think I didn't have great coping mechanisms at all. I didn't grow up with drinking in the household, but as soon as I started drinking, it became the go-to numbing agent. And once you kind of get the confidence of not doing that anymore, do you find with the folks that you work with and maybe in your own experience that it builds such a confidence and an ability to tackle other things in your life? It absolutely does. I mean, those tools are common threads for sure. For for me, it was very much just not knowing how to feel and deal with emotions, not knowing how to process through any kind of a failure or something that wasn't perfect, whether it was work-wise or personal or whatever it was. But certainly the lessons and the tools available for us as we journey through a change like removing alcohol from our lives serve us in so many ways. And as you set it up so beautifully in your intro, that's really, it became a a springboard for me and kind of everything that I have gone through challenge-wise since removing alcohol from, from my life. I don't know how I would have navigated with alcohol in my life. Just, you know, how, whoa, I can't imagine doing this if I was still drinking, kind of lots of those moments. And just that deeper and deeper validation all the time that I made the best choice possible for myself. Somebody somewhere knew what was coming down the road and, (laughs) you know, that, that big universe showing up in whatever way it does for you. So, and is there anything that you want to, share about those times and how you applied any of the tools that you learned? Is there anything that might be helpful to listeners? I think for me, the biggest thing has been learning how to be okay with who I am and know that I'm valuable and I have worth even when things go wrong. I didn't necessarily cause the thing to go wrong. It's not a reflection on me. Things just don't work out sometimes. And it's okay to be really sad and bummed out about it and brush yourself off and move on the next day. And for me also finding ways to give myself space so that I get to be human too. You know, I was stuck in that place of needing to be superhuman all the time and getting to the end of the day and going, okay, done being superhuman, don't know how to turn any of this off. I need something outside of myself to to do that job for me and learning how to go within and find those ways of self-care, self-love. I think self-care sometimes gets a, a bad wrap because you know you think, oh, you're going to go get your nails done or you're going to go get a massage. People just align it very quickly with things that cost money. But for me, it's been a, a bubble bath. That is <laughs> an extraordinary- it's One of my favorite things. 
form of self-care or listening to a guided meditation. There are so many great meditations on the Insight Timer app, or a lot of people use the Calm app. I love Insight Timer, just but yes. Taking, <laughs> yes. So um, my favorite is Sarah Blondin. I, I love her. Love that woman. And just giving myself permission to let my emotions be there. Even if I need somebody like Sarah Blondin to help me have my emotions. <laughs> And just having those spaces for vulnerability and tears and deep breath and quiet and being away from any of the stuff that might be showing up to be really challenging and really painful and knowing that every day is a new day and at some point things will change. (laughs) Exactly. And that no feeling is permanent, right? I think that's really something I didn't get for a long time. I thought that when I was in this difficult time and this difficult feeling, it was going to last forever. So I had to do something to stop it. I couldn't survive it. And it was really helpful to have the support of, you know, in terms, I went through this naked mind. So I went the alcohol experiment, um, a 30 day Mm. experiment. And it really helped me a lot because it intellectually told me kind of what I was going through and let me understand that I could survive it. And that this is just a process. That was really helpful, I think, for me. Is that the kind of work that you do with folks that come to you for sobriety coaching? It is. It's really kind of getting to the root of that why. Why is your brain telling you that this is the thing to do to deal with the thing that's happening? And you know, again, very much in line with the this naked mind methodology, you know, is 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 that thinking true? What's the truth? Is there something that could be truer? (laughs) And uh, just kind of trying to dismantle some of that thinking that gets ingrained in there through life and through societal messaging and all of the things that make us think that drinking is the answer to any problem that might show up. Yeah. I mean, and in the end, it's almost just a habit. For sure. And, And I think that is an important thing to say, too, is that you've kicked other habits. And this is just another one. It's a little bit more pervasive, but it definitely is something that is kickable if you want to. You mentioned a, you mentioned your kids, and I'm curious how that relationship improved after you decided to stop drinking. Uh, I think it improved tremendously. They are 19 and 17. So they were 10 and 8 when I stopped drinking, they don't remember a lot about drinking mom at this point. So if we were to ask them that question, it'd be like, you're just who you are. You're, you're a mom who doesn't drink. But for me, I felt the improvement was huge and continues to be huge because I, I get to show up for them. And that's the thing that really brought me to my knees is I noticed myself more and more not showing up. And, you know, one of the things that we had talked about a little bit before this podcast interview is celebrating the triumphs along the way. And that's what really stands out for me. I think first and foremost, we have to celebrate every single win, no matter how small it is. We deserve to appreciate ourselves for what we're accomplishing. And this goes for drinking or anything else in life, right, that you're trying to do. Because that celebration is an acknowledgement of our power. And when we feel powerful, we get to grow even more powerful. Power breeds power, I think. So at first, I celebrated every single day without alcohol, right? Every night Mm -hmm. that I put my head on the pillow without having a drink, that was a win. And yay me. Mm -hmm. And over time, 
that becomes more of the habit when we're talking about changing habits. But then the wins started to get bigger. And one that really stands out is the first one of its kind. There have been many since then, but I don't think I'd been sober even a year yet. But my son got hurt on his bike in our driveway one day after school. Oh no! And in my drinking life, I would have already been through the better part of a bottle of wine. And I wouldn't have been able to drive him to the emergency room. I wouldn't have had a clear head to manage his emotions and his trauma and his fear and everything that was going on. I would have had to call an ambulance. And who knows, in the process, I might have been investigated. You know, who's this mom who's reeking of red wine? And that day I was there. I was the mom he deserved. I was the mom I could be. And I think, you know, I think... That really, for me, was the first time that I was like, holy cow, this changed everything. I got to return to myself and to them instead of continuing to take myself out of the equation in whatever way I was. Oh, and so it goes back to your original question, how has your relationship changed with your kids? And I think that was when I realized, okay, this is the thing. You know, it was no longer reading bedtime stories, spinning on the bed. And and then they're older now, college age, adulthood, and their challenges get bigger, just like our challenges get bigger as we get older. And being able to walk with them on their journeys through whatever it is that's showing up. I know parents who can't do that with their kids. And are, and that they still want you to do it. I mean, I think that's, yeah. I mean, because a lot of times in those ages, they want to do it on their own and you get left out. You hear about it later. So it says a lot that you're walking with them. Yeah. And they do try to do plenty on their own. Um, <laughs> they and do. I am just, I am honored <laughs> when I get invited to, to walk the path. And they know I'm always here. And they're not going to share everything for, with me. They're not going to ask me for help every single time. I don't want them to. I want them to have wings um, and to be able to fly and to find that independence for themselves. I think that one of the beautiful things that has happened for them, and I don't think it's necessarily a result of whether I'm drinking or not, but um, they are fierce self-advocates. And I absolutely love that about them. <laughs> no, I bet it has something to do with recovery I, because I think we get a sense of confidence and the shame is gone. And then we've had to adopt self-care mechanisms because we're no longer drinking. So we had to get something else to replace that to take care of ourselves. So that's a lot of modeling to do for kids. Yeah. And I, I love being able to do the modeling. I think there's a fine line between putting pressure on yourself to do it perfectly because none of us is perfect. We're all going to make mistakes all the way through life until forever. But being able to model something more powerful for them than was modeled for me. And that's not to say that I'm blaming anyone for modeling what they did for me. It, It was an opportunity, right? I get to learn from my experience and change what I do with the hope that it is a more positive, more empowering experience for my kids when they see the way I handle different situations and deal with things. That's really powerful. I I think that's something that I think about times where I have been faced with things or I have difficulty in front of my kids. 
or they're going through difficult times and how I would have handled it if I had my traditional two to three glasses of wine. It was a very different mom with that. Yeah. And I regret it. I, I think there's a certain amount of guilt around that, but I'm so thankful that I get the opportunity to to continue to be there for them sober now. It's a real gift that I'm allowed to. You talked a little bit about self-care. What are some of the other tools that you would recommend as people are going through difficulty and trying to make change in their life? Sure. A big thing for me, and I'll rewind it all the way to the, the beginning of my journey without alcohol. I This became a very important piece of self-care for me is to just be very intentional. And I would set my intentions every single morning when I got up. This is the kind of person I intend to be today. These are the things I intend to accomplish today. This is how I intend to feel at the end of the day. And just to kind of set that stage mm, as opposed to getting up and flying into the day willy-nilly. <laughs> Does anybody even say willy-nilly anymore? You just did. Um, I do. I have. <laughs> that for me was a tremendous form of self-care because... I was giving myself some direction. I was giving myself something to go on and something to go back to if I got a quarter, a third, halfway through the day and went, holy cow, things are not going the way they're supposed to be going. Let's reset. What were the intentions today? So that's a, a huge form of self-care. Gratitude is also a huge form of self-care for me. Being able to make mindset shifts if it's been a really crummy day and I find myself dwelling on some of the gunk and stuff that's shown up, shifting into that gratitude mode and trying to flip some of it on its side, because I think there are still meanings just about everywhere and lessons and gifts, even in the yuckiest stuff. Another form of where we talked about hot baths, that is like, that's a really big thing for me. Um, <laughs> I love that. I used to escape a lot to the bathtub in the <laughs> beginning of giving up alcohol. Not so much anymore, but that was huge for me. Walking outside, there's a trail near us that you can just, I mean, depending on where you start and which direction you go, you can walk 10 plus miles if you want to. And being out there and watching it change through the seasons, and we have different wildlife and live in an area where we have black bears and oh, that's scary. we also it's have scary. <laughs> it's like they can be they can be scary they can also be gorgeous oh i bet when there's enough distance between me and the bear <laughs> i can stand there looking at it forever i love so, parents too that's a great too. that's a great one they're so beautiful when they fly then they fly and they're just i think they're my spirit animal i totally do um, yep, I love that. You have a, a picture of me holding a fish. And that's actually in South Carolina, where my parents used to live until about a year ago. And the herons down there are nothing like the herons that we have here in the Northeast. They're completely different. But do you oh, like so to fish? <laughs> I don't fish often. The first time I went fishing was when I was a kid. And we, we went out on a boat and we caught a bunch of bluefish. And so fishing kind of became, so my parents lived in South Carolina for about 20 years. Wow. Anytime we had an opportunity to go down, there was a guy who we would go out fishing with. So it kind of became part of those core memories that we built with the kids when they were little, nice. going out fishing with this guy, Rodney, with my dad, who my dad 
always fished and my dad helping the kids reel in their first sharks. So yeah, it's uh, probably some of the coolest memories my kids have with my folks who, That's so nice. thank goodness, are still here. But just so knowing lucky. that we'll, we'll always have that. So yeah, I love those fishing trips. <laughs> That's amazing. Did I see that journaling too? Because you, know, you did the blog. Yes. So, that, so writing must have been helpful. And writing still is helpful. I just don't do it very publicly anymore. Mm. But writing has been a constant for me. In fact, even before I stopped drinking, I was doing some writing. Again, that wasn't public. But when I stopped drinking, I did start a blog. And it was funny, I just took a peek at it before we started chatting this afternoon. And it's been four years, four and a half years since I wrote on that blog. And trying to remember some of the things that I had said and a couple of the stories I've shared with you are blog posts. So that was interesting to know that I had written about it and they are things that still stick with me. But writing for me is extraordinarily therapeutic. It is how I process anything and everything. It could be something weird that happened with work and I'm trying to make sense of it and find my way through it and figure out how to deal with it. It could be something with one of the kids. It could be something with a friend. It could just be a a feeling that shows up out of nowhere if it isn't clear with me and if I can't find meaning, I need to make words (laughs) and Mm -hmm. and find my way to the truth and figure out what I'm going to do with it. If anything, you know, it could be an email that I need to write that might not be the nicest email, but you know, I'm going to thumb it out in the notes app on my phone and then go to bed and read it again in the morning and see. (laughs) It sounds like it's a, a way of maybe letting some of it go, like letting some of the emotion translate into words and then you can come back to it, but you're letting it kind of go for now, which can be very helpful. Half the time I need to write through something, I'm thinking it's the biggest deal in the world. And then I finish what I'm writing and like, oh, that's fine. It's fine. I don't need to invest any more time or energy in this thing, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. translation. Yeah, it's a translation of energy. It really is beneficial. And it can be a witnessing too. You're witnessing what happened instead of kind of being in it anymore. Especially in those times where I might want to drink, it's helpful to to pick up a piece of paper and kind of write about that. It it doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Because sometimes we don't even want to tell somebody else that we're feeling that way, but it's okay to kind of write it down. And that gives you a chance to kind of witness it and transform it. So just another way I found myself using it. Absolutely. And you don't have to be a good writer to journal. No, People say no. that to me all the time because it's something that I recommend to everyone who's going through life. I mean, you don't have to be trying to give up drinking. You don't have to be trying to make a big change. You don't have to be trying to do anything. But journaling is such a, a beautiful process. It doesn't have to be complete sentences. Words don't have to be spelled right. It's for you. It's not for anybody else who cares about grammar. It's just nobody has to see it. Are there any things that you fall back on word-wise that are helpful or have been helpful in your journey? I do. And I'm so glad you asked about that. There are a few different things. Something that I've gone to for a long time, actually when I was even still drinking, but apparently I didn't make meaning of it the same way I do now, but it won't always be this way. Hmm. Everything changes. I mean, life is life is like the weather. One thing that's going on doesn't stick around very long. Similar one to that, and I think it's a John Lennon quote, is everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And that's something a therapist 
said to me several years ago when we were going through something as a family and I was just like, oh, that's so cool. That's a really good <laughs> um, one. You know, I like to remind people that no one else's opinion of them is any of their business. Just stay in your own lane. There are lots of things I go to depending on the situation. There's an app called I Am. I don't oh, know I if you've know heard this. of it. No. It's an affirmations app and you can actually, if you're an Apple watch person, like I am, (laughs) you can install it so that it pops up on the face of your Apple watch. Oh my gosh. It changes multiple times throughout the day. Like I'm looking at mine right now and it says one day at a time, one step at a time, which is that's that's, enough. That's That's all I needed. (laughs) (laughs) But earlier today it was something else. I just scrolled through. I believe that things always work out even when they don't feel like it. Yes, I do. I totally believe that, right? But I have found that very powerful. And interestingly, they seem to somehow align with what's going on for me, or I'm able to very easily find meaning in what they are and attach it to something that's going on. I love positive affirmations that I can believe in and draw strength from, especially in super challenging moments. Things that I have to say might not work for someone else, but I think we can all grab onto something that feels really good and works when we need to take a negative thought and flip it on its side so that we can get some power back. Those negative thoughts can really be a power drain and to train our brains to kind of do that on their own, but also have tools in place if you need reminders like the the I am app. And also, I don't know if you've ever heard of, this is also a favorite tool of mine. Anybody who hates self-promotion, I don't promote my coaching work. However, anybody who signs on to coach with me gets a stack of these. They're the Louise Hay power thought cards. I love Louise Hay. These got me through my my first days. Um, And I would just pull one out every single morning. And that would be my affirmation for the day. That's awesome. And I would hang on to it until I felt like I needed a new one. I'm big into physical tools, not trying to hold on to all of them in my head and remember quotes and mantras and, and all of that. I love the idea of it being physical or having something that pops into your day because then it's less responsibility in some ways. You can just, it just, it's going to come to you. And I think the other thing that's great about these types of quotes and things is that it makes you feel less alone. You know, you're not the only one that's felt this way. You won't be the only one that ever feels this way. It just so reassuring. It's like listening to a song that you can really relate to when you're going through something difficult. I'm not alone in this. And we don't always have somebody with us, especially post-pandemic. You know, not everybody still is back at work. And so we're spending a lot more time to ourselves. And I think having these types of tools is a great thing. One last thing maybe you think that would be helpful to our listeners. You've given so many great tools and ideas. Uh, Is there anything else that we missed that you want to share before we go? Yeah, actually. So (laughs) awesome. I love resilience. I don't think of myself as a resilient person, but I know I am. It's kind of a little bit of a disconnect for me to use that to personally describe myself. However, I think that resilience shows through in some of the approaches and the mantras and the things that we've been talking about. And so I think kind of the biggest thing for me is recognizing that every challenge has something for me. It's for me in some way. There's a gift or a lesson, whether or not you see it in the moment. And I usually don't. Mm. Always a rearview mirror thing, right? We see the lesson and the gift after we've gone through the thing. And it sounds totally trite, but we grow through what we go through. I cannot think of a single time that wasn't true for me. 
but the trick is allowing it, mm-hmm. allowing it by always remembering this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. And I think that that is kind of a core piece of resilience, remembering that it's happening for you, not to you. That way you hold on to the power and you get to use it the way you want to. When it's happening to you and you don't like it, you're pushing back and you're giving all your power to it. That's right. That was so helpful. And maybe we should call it grit (laughs) instead of resilience. Let's try that. (laughs) Oh, it's both though. It's both. Like I literally looked up resilience and I'm like, I'm not resilient. I'm not... Okay, yeah, I'm resilient. I mean, it's elastic, <laughs> right? We, we yeah. bounce back. We have yeah. elasticity, but I think we, I think we have grit too. Yeah, I, I love the have, word I think grit. We're both. It's okay. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yeah. Whenever anybody asks me to give one word to describe myself, I always say tenacious. I think that is a strength, and I think that's something we get from recovery too. Is that absolute evidence that we can bounce back and we can overcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. If you want to learn more about Lara's coaching services, those links will be in the episode notes. And I highly recommend you looking her up if you're on a sober curious journey. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. If it was, please subscribe, drop a review or share it with your friends and family. That's the best way to get it in the hands of those who may benefit. And if my daughters, Sienna and Sylvie are listening, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. And I love you so much. Bye now.